20 as we work our way through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Luke chapter 20. We're going to pick it up in verse 27. Then some of the Sadducees, who deny that there is a resurrection, came to him asking him, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote to us that if a man's brother dies, having a wife, and then dies without children, his brother should take his wife and raise up another offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers, and the first took a wife and died without children. And the seven took a wife and he died childless as well. Then a third took her, and in the same manner, the seven also, and left no children, and they died. Last of all, the woman died. Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife does she become? For all seven had her. And Jesus answered and said, you guys are morons. (laughs) Anybody else want that version? Sorry. He actually will say that in a roundabout way in Matthew, and we'll get to that. But he says, the sons of this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are counted worthy to obtain that age and the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage, nor can they die anymore, for they are equal to the angels and are the sons of God being sons of the resurrection. But even Moses showed in the burning bush passage that the dead are raised when they are called the Lord God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, Jacob. For he is not the God of the dead, but of the living, for all live to him. And then some of the scribes answered and said, Teacher, You have spoken well, but after that, they dared not ask him any more questions. Good for you. (laughs) So let's take a look at this. Last week, we saw that Jesus was in the temple teaching, and the religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees came to Jesus. They were trying to trap him. They were trying to get him to uh, say something that would either... um, be unlawful to the Romans or unlawful to the law of Moses. And so Jesus destroyed their argument, as he does. But then this next group comes, and it is the Sadducees of verse 27. It tells us here, Luke tells us in this version, that the Sadducees who deny that there is a resurrection came to him and asked him. The the Sadducees were a different group than the Pharisees. Was that brilliant or not? You've got two, actually you have three groups. You have the scribes, those were the lawyers. You had the Pharisees and you had the Sadducees. The Pharisees were the legalists. They they held to the law better than anybody else. Paul the apostle was a Pharisee. He knew the law, he followed the law. They would tithe, you know, nine seeds, or uh, they would keep nine seeds, they would tithe one seed. I mean, they were meticulous and what they were doing, as we'll see at the end of this passage as well. But the Sadducees were different. They only believed in the first five books of the law. Has everybody got that? The Pharisees believed in the Old, the Old Testament as a whole, 
But the Sadducees only thought the authority was in the first five books of the law. They, div- they didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in anything mystical. So if you don't believe in a resurrection, what are you doing? So they believed that when you die, you just die and you cease to exist. Now that's a pretty sad you see kind of living. You knew I was going to throw that in somewhere. I have to start to do it different each time. Now, when Lazarus was raised from the dead, what group wanted to kill him? It wasn't the Pharisees. Is the Sadducees. You can't have a walking proof of the doctrine that you're against. Do you see that? But I want to take us to Matthew because Matthew sets the context of this and the argument that Jesus uses with them. And so let's go over to Matthew chapter 22. Verse 29, and he says of the Sadducees, and again, these are the liberals. These are the ones who are living for life now, not for the life that is to come. It's interesting that Jesus makes that point about the age to come. And he says in verse 29 of Matthew, he says, you are mistaken. Nobody talks to them like this. Did you see that at the end of that when that scribe came up and he said, you said, well, because that, that group over there, the scribes and the Pharisees were like, oh, they're beating up on our opponents. This is great until Jesus turns the tables on them, right? And he says, you are mistaken, not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. Turn back now to Luke. That's important because when they are bringing this ridiculous argument like how many angels can be on the head of a pen or can God create a rock so big that he can't lift, any other dumb arguments out there? Now, they're using the law because the law did say that if your brother died, it was your responsibility to raise up an heir for your brother. That's right. That's true. And I like how Jesus uses, sorry, I just lost my place. I like how Jesus uses just the law of Moses to combat their argument. I like that. And so we have this, and I don't even want to go into it. I mean, the obvious answer is she's a bad cook. Next, wouldn't you just love to have Jesus say that? Like, if I was the sixth guy, I'd be like, I'm getting takeout. (laughs) And so Jesus answered and said, the sons of this age, we're going to see that. He makes a difference between this age and the age to come. Everybody see that? I want you to underline or circle This age, and then in verse 35, he says, this age. There's a different age. And the Sadducees only believed in this age, their present age. 
And Jesus says, oh, no, no, but there's another age coming. There's another, there's another existence for you. And you will be different in that age to come. And so he says here in verse 24 that the sons of this age um, marry and are given in marriage. But those who are counted worthy. Now, who are counted worthy to be in the next age? Is it somebody who follows the Ten Commandments? Listen, we're, we're coming close to the holidays and Christmas, and I love that we are where we are right now because by the end of the message today, Jesus is going to ask the question that everybody needs to answer. Who is the Christ? Who is the Messiah? Well, the Sadducees, in their interpretation, their view, their liberal view of the Scriptures confined them just to five books. And they didn't see the rest of it. We're going to see that <laughs> there's nothing new under the sun. We have Sadducees today. We have Pharisees today. And what is their view of the Messiah? What is the view of the next age? Because a lot of people look at the next age or heaven as just a little bit better earth. How many of you have ever heard that? Like, heaven's going to be the best skiing ever or the best waves ever. And what they miss is they don't, don't you love, that's why we went to Matthew, because Jesus, you don't know the scriptures. You don't know what it says. And a lot of religious people don't know the scriptures, nor the power in that. So the age to come, Jesus will define it for us in a minute, is not some super earth. It is something completely so different that God didn't put it in the scripture because we couldn't get through this life. And so the sons of this age marry and are given in marriage. So this is what's going on here on planet Earth. Normal. Why is that important? Because we further the population. Without marriage, without having little ninos running around, little kids running around, we don't have humanity. Am I the only one? That's why we have children. These kids grow up to be adults and then come back and move in. Why? Why didn't you just... Verse 35, but those who are counted worthy, okay, so let's get back to that. Those who are counted worthy, how are we counted worthy? Because of the blood of the Lamb. Not by anything that I am done, that I have done. So I can't get myself into heaven. The only way I am granted it in heaven is because I have accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and his penalty upon the cross was sufficient to suffice to the Father. Therefore, I'm in. Great. Give me a beanie hat. I love it. Right? Amen? That's all you need. And so those who are counted worthy, okay, that's us, to obtain that age, the next age to come is this, from the resurrection of the dead. And notice they neither marry nor given in marriage. Why? We don't need to populate eternity in that way that we populate planet Earth. There is no children into that age. We will all be one age. I can't wait for it to be 30 again. 
I just turned 50 on Friday. I'm looking forward to the backward 30. And so this age to come is one of a, of a resurrection that is a metamorphosis of your body, not what this body is. This isn't a body that, it, it, it looks the same, but it's not the same. Remember when Jesus was resurrected? He was able to eat. I can't wait for that. He was, people were able to touch him, but el- what else was he able to do? He walked through a wall. You know, when we go from point A to point B, it's about time, is it not? When I drive to Arrowhead up in, in Spartanburg County, no matter what, it's four hours, no matter what. I could have a Lamborghini, which I'm praying for. <laughs> or my son says, how about a helicopter or a plane to get up there? But no matter how fast I go, I got to get out of Horry County. And we all know that's almost impossible to do in less than an hour to get to 95 or 20 and head up, right? So we're bound by time. Now imagine when we're not bound by time. And if you want to go somewhere, do you see that Jesus makes a distinction between the time that we're living in and the time to come? And that age to come, it it is coming, and the only way that you can get there is that you are counted worthy by the blood of the Lamb. So the resurrection from the dead, they neither marry nor give it in marriage, nor can they, this is going to be one of those neat things to know, die any more. Good news, amen? We are bound by time. We are bound by a tent, a body that is, well, dying slowly by the sun's radiation and by that we are sons and daughter of Adam and Eve that have a sinful nature. This body is corruption, but it will soon put on incorruption. It will be changed in the twinkling of an eye. And so this body now will die, but what's coming is something that will never die. You ever thought about eternity and then your brain hurts? Just for a moment, you're like, you know, we sing that song for 10,000 of years. I don't, even, I don't even know what that could imagine to be like. You're never going to be bored, ever. There will be no more text messages, no lawyers, no governments, no pain or suffering, no dying. Dying is a result of our body slowly deteriorating. It is the second law of thermodynamics. Everything is going from order to disorder. Did you see the disorder in your mirror this morning? Order to disorder. They don't die anymore. For they are equal to the angels and are the sons of God, being the sons of the resurrection. And when he says that they are equal to the angels, it doesn't mean that you are an angel. Can we stop that? You know, we we talk about how our relative went and they're an angel. They're not an angel. The angel reference is to they they are not given in marriage. And so for some of you, you're excited that there won't be any marriage in heaven. 
Some of you are really bummed out about that. What is your relationship going to be in heaven? I have no idea. All I know is that we don't have children like we do on planet Earth. I don't know if you're going to have some relationship like we have on Earth as a bond. I don't know that. <laughs> People say, I'm wedded to you for eternity. Pr probably not. I don't mean to burst everybody's bubble. They're like, oh, look, now we have to do couples retreat. <laughs> you, you see, who are you wedded to? Jesus, we're the, we're the bride of Christ. I don't know what that looks like. And don't let anyone else tell you they know what it looks like because we don't. All Jesus says is, you're not going to die anymore. It's going to be different. Um, I make all things new in Revelation. What does that mean? I think it means that whatever we know now, it will be something that is so greater there. All we will do is say, throw down our crowns and say, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. But we know that we are equal to the angels in that marriage part, again, in context, and we are the sons of God, being the sons of the resurrection. And now Jesus proves his point by using the law of Moses. He said, but even Moses showed in the burning bush passage that the dead are raised. When he called the Lord the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Not that he was or they were but he is, and so Jesus makes this point that he is not the God of the dead, but of the living, for all live to him. Now, those who are living in him are counted worthy. Let's make this point. <laughs> We're putting it in context. Not everybody is saved. Those who are saved are counted worthy because they have accepted Christ. And so he is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living, for all live to him. And then this group over here who doesn't like the Sadducees were pretty excited. They had banners, go Jesus, and said, teacher or rabbi, you've well spoken. Well, hold on. He's going to talk to you guys in a minute. But after that, they dared not ask him any more questions. And so you have this religious group, the Sadducees, who were very religious, very powerful. They, they had most of the wealth of the day uh, above the, the Pharisees and the scribes. They were very powerful. They were very religious. But what did Jesus say about them? And I think that really speaks about who they are and who a lot of religious people are. He told them in Matthew again that they err because they do not know the Scriptures and they don't know the power that's in that. And what Jesus said is, you guys are missing the fact that there is power in the word of God to raise people to life. And it's written because Jesus is, now we're going to go into this transition into who is the Christ. So, let's take a look at it. Verse 41, and he said to them, how can, that, how can they say that the Christ is the Son of God? Let's read over in Matthew's version again. Sorry, I just clicked on it wrong. In Matthew chapter 22, go back to it. 
And in verse 41, he says, While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, saying, What do you think about the Christ? And they said to him, The Son, or He is the Son of David. Did you note with me the question that Jesus asked? Now you can turn back to Luke. Because in Luke, he says, How can they say that Christ is the Son of David? Luke records everything after that statement. But Matthew, because he is there, he was an eyewitness to it. Luke is writing later. Matthew says, the question is, who is the Christ? Now, this is going to be Jesus' last public statement. And if you are leaving (laughs) your last public statement for everyone to hear at the Temple Mount, what do you want to leave them with? What do you want to leave religious people with? Well, for the Jews, it's all about Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one that is to come. That's what they keep asking. Jesus, are you going to fulfill that which was spoken of by the prophets? Are you the Messiah? Are you the coming one? Remember, they were looking for a Messiah that would kick the Romans out, not die on a cross. And so when Jesus asked the question, who is the Christ? I ask you, write that on your Christmas presents. Who is the Christ? Now, if we ask that of your family or your friends or your coworkers or you post something on Facebook, what, what do you think you're going to get in, in a reply to that? Who is Jesus? Well, he's a good teacher. He's taught us many things. Well, he was a good prophet. He was this, he was that. Yes, but who is the Christ? Who is the Messiah? Who is the one that delivers us? Would we not agree that a lot of your family, friends, coworkers would deny that Jesus is divinity? And that's what Jesus does here. Is he asks them this important question that everyone will be asked, everyone, who is God to you? Who is this carpenter from the Galilee? born in Bethlehem, prophesied by Micah. And this psalm that Jesus uses was known as a messianic psalm. We're going to turn to it in a minute. It is Psalm 110, but I want to read this and then we'll turn to it. How can they say that the Christ is the son of David? Now, David himself said in the book of Psalm, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand, till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, David calls him Lord. How is it that he is his son? So let's turn over to Psalm chapter 110. And let's read in context what Jesus is quoting. Remember, the question is, who is the Christ? Who's the Messiah, the anointed one? And this is the question that all of Israel is asking. Psalm 110, verse 1. Again, a psalm of David. The Yahweh, Jehovah, said to my Adonai, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. And the Lord, Jehovah, shall send a rod of your strength out of Zion and rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people shall be volunteers 
in the day of your power, in the beauty of your holiness, from the womb of the morning, you have the dew of the youth. And the Lord has sworn and not relented, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. And the Lord is at your right hand, and he shall execute kings in the day of his wrath. And he shall judge among the nations, and he shall fill the places with dead bodies, and he shall execute the heads of many countries. And he, that's not really a perky psalm, isn't it? And he shall drink of the brook by the wayside. Therefore, he shall lift up his head. Now, in this day, in Jesus' day, and I don't like to say all, but all of Israel understood that Psalm 110 was a messianic psalm, that it was about the anointed, the Messiah. It's not in question. They knew that it was Messiah. They also knew and taught, not like today, like the Jews believe that the Messiah is just a man. They believed that the Messiah was the Son of God. And so they knew this psalm, they talked about this psalm, but it had questions in their mind because if David, if Messiah comes from David and you live in a patriarchal society, how can David say to his offspring, you are my Lord? It didn't compute to them. Does everybody understand that? That's their argument. How can the lesser, because that's in rank, say to the greater that uh, you're my God? And so they wrestled with that. And so Jesus takes them Back to that. Let's turn back to to Luke now. And so he says, how then can the Christ be the son of David? David called the Messiah his Lord. And the Jews, again, agreed that the Messiah would be the son of David. And so the question is, how could he be David's Lord and David's son at the same time? And so what? What Jesus does is he says, and he answers the question that, well, let's read it. He says in verse 42, and he says, Now David said to him in the Psalms, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore David calls him Lord. How is it his son? So when the Bible in verse 42, when you see it's all capital, now, Here in the Greek, it's kurios. Luke uses that word for Lord. But the the words that are used in the psalm are Yahweh, which is capital L-O-R-D. Anytime you see that in the Bible, it's talking about Yahweh or Jehovah, depending on how it was pronounced that day, because no one knows, and don't let them tell you that they know. But when it says capital L, lowercase O-R-D, that is Adonai. It's the same, but not. Does that make sense? Who's confused? I tell you, I am. And I'm teaching it. No. And so he says, then the Lord said to my Lord, again, this is even imagine writing something, you're like, I don't even know what this means. That's all right, just write it down anyway. That's the Holy Spirit inspiring the Bible. Because it wasn't for David, it was for us later on. So Jesus showed them that according to Psalm 110, which again, they acknowledged to be as messianic, that the Messiah also would be David's Lord. So they couldn't figure that out. How can David's line and lineage be greater than David? Well, how could David's son 
and David's be David's Lord at the same time. How could David the king have someone who is the Lord on earth? And the, the answer, of course, was that Messiah would be both God and man. And yes, they knew that, but they didn't know that. They knew that Messiah would be anointed. Uh, Moses said, another will come in my name or act in the same role as a prophet. And him you will listen to. Remember that? And it's funny because he's talking about the future Antichrist, but it's also referring to Christ in that way. There's going to be another prophet that will come. And so he is going to be God and man. As God, he would be David's Lord. And as man, he would be David's son. And Jesus himself combining his person with both deity and humanity. Look, today, the Jews do not believe that the Messiah will be deity. He, they only believe that he will be a man, a political leader, that will allow them to rebuild the temple. Well, that's exactly what's going to happen with Antichrist, and they will be deceived in that. And in the three-and-a-half-year period, the Antichrist will come into that newly rebuilt temple, and he will claim to be God, which they don't believe that he is, and then they freak out, and they knew that they killed Jesus 2,000 years before. And they flee. We're going to get to that in the next couple of weeks. Next chapter in Luke, Luke is going to give us the Olivet Discourse, which is a prophetic of what's coming. Keep your place here. Let's turn to Acts chapter 2. This is Pete, filled with the Holy Spirit, giving by far one of the best messages in the Bible that didn't come from Jesus, but filled with the Holy Spirit. And he says in verse 32, This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He poured out on this, which you now see and hear. For David did ascend into heaven, and he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand, till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and and Christ. Don't you love how Peter then takes the statement of Jesus after Jesus has been crucified and raised from the dead? Now it's the day of Pentecost, and he tells all of the house of Israel listen, I know you guys had this conversation over in Luke chapter 20, but let me tell you therefore, let all the house of Israel know that assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and and Christ. Now, turn to Luke chapter 22, which we'll get in a maybe a month. <laughs> now, Jesus has been arrested. He is standing before the ruling body, the Sanhedrin. And it says in verse 66, as soon as it was day, the elders of the people, both chief priests and the scribes, came together and led him into the council, saying, If you are the Messiah, the Christ, tell us. 
But he said to them, if I tell you, you will by no means believe. Listen, Jesus, two chapters before, which we're reading right now, is telling them that. He's already told them who he is. Then he says, and if I ask you, will you by no means answer me or let me go? Hereafter, the Son of Man will sit on the right hand of the power of God. Verse 69 is Jesus re-giving them Psalm 110. He's telling them, and look at their response. How do we know that? Because they say, (laughs) then they all said, then you are the Son of God? Because they know that Psalm 110 is speaking about Messiah. Come sit at my right hand till I make your enemies my footstool. I, I know this sounds like I'm going all over the place, but I'm building this to make the statement right here that Jesus is who he claimed to be, and the, the religious leaders have no excuse because they heard it. Who is the Christ? Jesus says, I'm it. Do I need to have a t shirt? I'm the Messiah, Psalm 110 on the back. I don't know if God gets frustrated, but I'm sure Jesus here is like, are you kidding me? How many times do we have to go through this? How many times do you do that with your family members, your friends, your coworkers? Like I've been telling you forever that Jesus is who he says he is. And they said to him, are you then the son of God? And he said to them, you rightly say that I am. How many of you have ever heard somebody say Jesus never claimed to be God? Anybody? There are groups that say Jesus never claimed to be God. Let me read it again just for YouTube and so they can ban it. He says, you rightly say that I am. I am. He even tells them the burning bush. Do you see how Jesus is a... He's God, we know that. But he's a master in bringing them always back to the word of God. Always back. They know that I am. They know these statements. And they said, what further testimony do we need? We have heard it for ourselves. Out of his own mouth, Jesus declared to be the son of God. That's just good news. And they kill him for it, but it's good news. Turn back. Luke. We're in Luke, sorry. (laughs) Chapter 20. And so how can they say that the Christ is the Son of God? And David said unto himself, well, it's in the book of, uh, uh, David said of himself in the book of Psalm, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, David called him Lord. How then can he be his son? And at this point, he stops with the religious leaders. And then he gives the people a little bit of advice about following such people. (laughs) What a great way to end today. Then in the hearing of how many of the people, all the people in the temple, he said to his followers, his disciples, beware of the scribes who desire to go around in long robes. Now, somebody for my 50th birthday gave me a long robe, and it said, it was like one of those costume things, and it said, Father, I was very tempted to come out in that today, (laughs) just so you know who I am. 
<laughs> We're like, oh, let me change, <laughs> come out. They love to go around in religious garbs. When we get to Revelation, and that will be soon, after we're done with Luke, we're going to talk about how Jesus speaks to the seven letters to the seven churches. And in there he says, I hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, those that would lord over the people. And do you know it didn't take long for the religious people around 100 AD and past that to have the priest or the pastor have different clothes that set him apart from the general people. He became lording over the people. That's why Jesus makes that statement. Why do they wear long robes? Why do they do that? So that they could stand out. Oh, look at him. Look, I have a real problem with that. I know you think I have a, I have a lot of problems. I do. I'm working them out each message here at Calvary. But you see these people with the long robes, the collars. Why are you doing that? Why would you do that? Why would you separate yourself from the common people? I don't look like a pastor. I look like everybody else. Why? Because the pastor isn't to be elevated to the place that men and women elevate. Oh, yes, I have a specific role that I do, and I take that very seriously. That's why I wear Hawaiian shirts. <laughs> but you can see that men love the praise of people. And Jesus tells us, tells them, beware of religious people. He says they go around with long robes. They love greetings in the marketplace. They love to hear, oh, rabbi, oh, teacher, oh, pastor, oh, most right reverend. The apostle this, they love titles. They love the greetings in the marketplace. They love the best seats in the synagogue. Jesus made it very clear that as a servant of God, I, as a pastor, as an elder, the Greek that was used for that was an under rower. Now, you know, well, some of you know that one of my favorite movies was, or is, was, is Ben-Hur. And you've got Charlton Heston there, number 41, row well and live. He's, now you're going to Google that when you go home and watch it. But the, he was on the bottom of the deck of the Roman ship, and those were the rowers. Everybody up on top was having a grand old time. They don't have to row. The rower's job was to get the people who are on the top deck from point A to point B. Everybody got that? I love that the Holy Spirit chose a definition for a pastor as a servant to get you from point A to point B. Not to be seen, but to move you to where you need to go. Now, the way that I am supposed to do that, based by God's word, is God's word. It is not by entertaining you, not by putting on some clothing that makes me stand out, that I have some wonderful title to my name. I have a name. 
It's wrong. You're allowed to use that. Yes, you can say, Pastor Ron, but we don't stop you and say, listen, uh, do a little bow to Ron. Now, we're working on that for later. And the people in the marketplace would give gifts and this and that to the religious leaders. And they loved that. The Holy Spirit knew what he was going to be working with 2,000 years later. And he knew that his pastors, his elders, needed to be servants, to serve. You may have been raised in a church where you didn't see the pastor do anything. That he was unapproachable. That he wouldn't fix a clogged toilet or a leaky roof or blow the leaves in the back of the church. And I've said this over and over. I will not ask anybody to do something that I'm not willing to do myself because that's what a servant does. A real leader shows what needs to be done and demonstrates that so that other people can easily fall in line with that. What if when I'm done each Sunday that Ed takes me to the side and I've got all of my security. I only need Ed for security. I don't need anybody else. Amanda, here, that the pastor isn't that, that it is somebody that you can become yourself. And that's, that's what the Bible is trying to say, is that the pastor, the male leader in the church, is somebody that, who has God transformed their life and says, I just want to serve and was raised up in leadership. That's exactly what I did. I didn't know anything. They're like, we know. Not formally trained. We know. <laughs> and it's refreshing. I would hope that that is. That it's not something that I have this robe on and this title, and I love to sit in the best places. That's not who a servant is. A servant's job is to make the master or somebody else's life better than his. That's what a servant is. And so they want the best seats in the synagogue and the best places at the feast. <laughs> they are in line for potluck first. It's funny when we have potlucks. I don't know, maybe you don't know that, but I don't eat during the potluck. I usually just walk around because it's one of those rare times that I get to mingle and to talk to people that I don't often uh, talk to. Now, the kitchen crew typically will get my food aside, put it in something, then I'll eat it later. I'm telling you, I eat it later. I eat that ham later. But it is a time for me to just spend to talk with people. You see, that's what a servant is. And Jesus here, the last words that he says to the general population, watch out for those guys. Notice what else they do. They devour widows' houses. Now, in this day, a rabbi, a teacher, was not paid. <laughs> However, <laughs> he was allowed to receive gifts. So there'll be a box out next week. So he, what they would do is they would go to widows' homes. And they would use their charm, use their whatever, and the widows would, oh, the pastor has come to my house. 
wonderful. Here's a thing of snickerdoodles. <laughs> but it usually would be coins. And that's what they would use. And so when Jesus says, they devour widows' houses, are you kidding me? The pastor's role is to serve and to be served. Paul makes it very clear that the pastor is also to be provided for, to be taken care of. In fact, it says a double honor to that person who is feeding you the word of God. So I am taken care of by this church. Therefore, I don't ever want to put myself in a position where I have to take from you or want to take from you. That's not what I want to do. And Jesus made it very clear to the church, listen, take care of the guy who's feeding you. It's important to do that. But other than else, don't act pastors like devouring widows. Don't be on TV and tell people that God's broken and he needs your money. And if you just put your hand on my hand and we pray and then you do a seed offering and then I'll send you my hanky and all of the nonsense that goes on with all of that, it is the role of God to take care of his ministers. And God does that through the giving of the local church. We're on the radio around the country we're on the radio in places like Texas and California and Alaska. I just found out by those people. Woo! Like two people are listening to me. And one of them's a bear. No. And every once in a while, people will give to that ministry. But we don't necessarily need that. This church provides that to be a blessing to other people. Again, it's the local church's responsibility to do that. And I take that very seriously, and verse 47 is a great um, admonition and a warning to pastors, don't do what the religious leaders used to do in Israel. Don't do that. Don't devour widows' houses, notice, for a pretense and make long prayers. <laughs> okay, no show of hands, but how many of you don't like it when someone's gone on, on and on for 35 minutes? on a prayer. If you read the great prayers in the Bible, you know what they are? Short, to the point. I, I can't remember which good old dead guy said it this way, but he used this example. He said, when a man leaves his wife and goes on a journey, if the journey is short, the letter is short. Back to his wife. If the journey is long, the letter is long. Back to his wife. And then he said, well, then it would seem that many who give long prayers are far away from God. Ooh, wasn't that good to end with? What does that say? What does it say when people pray in a way that they're using the King James only and they're making and trying to impress other people? I love that Jesus said, don't pray long prayers. That should be like on every building, every church. Don't make long prayers. God knows what you have need of. Just let him know. Pray, thanksgiving, and move on and let the person next to you have an opportunity in corporate prayer. So you long prayers, come up to the altar later and repent. Notice for a pretense, they make long prayers. Please note with me at the end. Last public statements of Jesus. 
they will receive a greater condemnation. He tells the people who are at the temple who they themselves want to be like a Pharisee and a religious leader. They want to, I mean, they idolize these guys. They want to be like them. And Jesus says, don't be like them because their life isn't pleasing to God at all because they're not the servant. They want to be served. Jesus said, I did not come to be served, but to serve, to lay down my life. We live in a world that's really all about us. And we need to get back to a humbler place inside of the church. And it is simply about serving other people. Not my desires, not my wishes, about serving other people. And when we do that, when we take the focus off of ourselves and we place it upon somebody else who may not have what we have, it puts our life in perspective. And therefore, we will not receive a greater condemnation because we have already been founded, uh, counted worthy, I'm trying to find it, um, in verse 35, to obtain the next stage. Isn't that good news? Well, read ahead next, probably the next couple of weeks, probably three weeks, we will talk about the Olivet Discourse and the coming um, tribulation period that Jesus speaks both in Matthew. We're going to refer to both Matthew and Luke, but we will see that Matthew's version is uh, directed towards the Jews and Luke's version is directed towards the Gentiles for the most part. So read ahead that next chapter. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your word and we thank you, Lord, for the good news that we are counted worthy in the coming age to be with you, to be transformed. Lord, we, we didn't have no idea what's to come and how wonderful it will be. And it's simply as just being with you to see the Lord God of creation, to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. We thank you, Lord, for your words today against those who are religious, who think by keeping the law that they are fine. So many disturbing doctrines in the church today. And Lord, we need to be reminded that we, like you, are servants. And that we need to serve people rather than our own interest. And Lord, that we would proclaim Jesus Christ to this lost world. Thank you, Lord, for the month of December. It's a fun and glorious time. And so, Lord, that the message of the baby is the message of a man upon a cross and an empty tomb. We thank you again, Lord. We love you. And we ask that you would come soon. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's stand.